Welcome to the VoxGig podcast. We talk to people in the developer community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. For more details, visit voxgig.com slash podcast. All right, let's get started. Today, I'm speaking to Anna Redbond, who is the CMO of Flagsmith.com, an archetypal developer tool company. Flagsmith, as you can almost guess from the great name, is a feature flag service that lets you, via their API, turn on and off feature flags in your system. I'm not sure that you can find a better company that lives or dies on its execution of developer relations. In our discussion, Anna provides great advice for non-technical marketing executives that need to know how to win in a developer tools company. Okay, let us talk to Anna. Anna, welcome to the VoxGig Fireside Podcast. It's great to have you on today. Um, we're going to talk about flagsmith.com, which is your company. Tell us all about it. Great. Yeah. Um, firstly, yeah, happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, really excited to get started with this. Um, so yeah, I work for Flagsmith. We are an open source feature flagging software. So our whole goal is to make feature flags easy to create and manage, whether it's web, mobile, server-side applications. Um, really where we come in often is when people are looking at the developer experience and they're looking to change it, whether that be modernizing it, pushing code with lower risk, like decoupling, deploy, and release. So we often speak to teams that are coming in and they are looking at their development process. They're looking at how they're pushing code. And they're looking to change it up, make it feel less risky, more confident, and just free up that development process to feel a little bit easier. I have to, uh, I have to compliment you on your website, but I'm, I'm looking at right now. Okay, so uh, just for those who are listening, um, if you get a chance, go to flagsmith.com, right? Because what I'm looking at is a very simple uh, problem slash solution statement at the top, right? It's feature flags. Mm -hmm. Developers know mm -hmm. what that is. You then have code. Right there on the screen, it's fabulous, yes. right? And then underneath that, you have a whole bunch of really nice logos, right? So yes. you know, kind of tier one companies, uh, and then you have your, um, you know, a couple, a couple of kind of quotes, that type of thing. Um, so it's really nice. I mean, it's sort of an archetypal homepage in terms of getting to the point straight away. Um, now, the interesting thing for me is uh, you're not a developer advocate. You're a marketing person, um, yes, and I think yes. the, but you're 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 marketing slash selling to developers. Um, yes. So I mean, did you when you came in, did you sit down and decide what the, how you were going to structure the website? Um, just take us through your thinking around how you were going to present flagsmiths.com. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, as I yeah, as you said, I'm I'm not from a technical background. I come from marketing, I come from content. Um words are my everything. Um so it's been an interesting dilemma coming into this spot as someone who can't create the code. I'm not in the product all day, every day, but I am marketing to the people that are using it. Um and so main one of our big goals with content, with the website, with just about everything that we put out is to make it simple and clear and so that it actually resonates with the people using the tool. Um, my big thing with messaging is not to make it too complex, not to fill it with jargon and to instead put in front of people the words that they would actually use. 
So lots of our content will come from customers directly. It will come from me sitting down and having a conversation with a customer and saying, what's the problem you're coming up against? How do you look at it? And then translating that in their own words and just making it very clear. Because I think a lot of these technical websites can come across just like that as highly technical with a lot of jargon and a lot of confusion. Our goal is to be very simple. We do feature flags. We're built by developers. We're for developers. So that's the message that we want to ring through and it is all of the content. Yeah. It is really clear on the website. So would you say, um, I don't know if you've heard these terms, there's a lot of companies that have a technical product. Uh, their route to market is either developer first, where the developer is the person who decides to buy or makes the recommendation to buy, um, or developer enabled, where it's more classic sales process, but then the developer is kind of like a gatekeeper that validates technically whether the product is, is suitable. Uh, it, it seems like Flagsmith is is more on the developer first end of things. But take me through how you how you make a sale. How does that happen? Yeah, so there are a few different avenues that can happen. We I would agree with you. We're mainly developer first, and a lot of that is because we're built as an open source tool. So often, what will happen is that a developer will come in from the company that they're working in. They'll get straight to the code. They'll go to our repos on GitHub. They'll play around with it. They'll test it and they might use it for a few months and just see, is this something that's working for me? Then they might invite in a team member. From there, it kind of happens quite organically. If it's something that works for them, that's often when we'll get the message to sale saying, we've been using this for a while. It actually works for us. We'd love to use some of the like some of the features that are behind like the enterprise plan or whatever it might be for management. So we often have developers that just straight have been using it and just have pulled the code and it works for them. It's often a pretty organic process, which is really great to see because then we know that it's been working for them already. They're already using it. They have it set up and then we could just connect the dots for them. And, and is there some sort of inflection point where they need to get it working in a proper uh, configuration deployment yes. process and then it needs more team members or whatever? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. They've been playing around with it. They make sure that it kind of ticks the boxes for what they need, and then it will be brought into our sales process, and it will go through things like procurement for them. Yeah, and they'll ask then questions about how they can configure it, deploy it, all of that. Yep. I really like your pricing page as well, um, because you, you uh, like, you know, a lot of people would have uh, sort of inwardly focused maybe titles for their pricing tiers, but you, you go free startup scale up enterprise and it's really easy to say okay that's what i am yeah this yeah is i think be. yeah again the whole theme here is just make it simple and put it in jargon free language that developers actually use the the goal is to make it something that's actually valuable and if people want to stick in the free plan or use the open source tool great like our goal is to make it something that's actually valuable for people to use yeah so here's here's a here's a here's a tricky question. This kind of this is a sort of a central paradox of marketing to developers, which people do discuss openly, right? Um, <laughs> I'm a developer, and my innate feeling when I see marketing is that oh, that must be rubbish because you have to market it. If it was any good, I'd know about it already, right? It would have yes. been <laughs> discussed on Hacker News or somewhere like that. Um, is that, is that in your mind when you when you create marketing or how how do you how do you overcome that sort of uh, I don't know credibility gap maybe? 
Yes, yes. So it's definitely it's definitely top of mind. And other marketers I've spoken to that are in the developer space have it in their mind as well. And I actually think that's a really healthy thing. I think it keeps the fire under me because it reminds me I'm not a developer and developers don't want marketing. Like the people, the engineers that I work with, they don't want marketing landing on their desk. They want things that are going to make their day better. They want to be able to do their job and they don't want marketing. And I think that that is a really good thing because it keeps me honest. And it means that my focus always is making sure that the content that I'm creating is actually valuable, actually relevant, is in the customer's words. Um, And honestly, knowing that I'm not that person that built the tool means that I have to find creative ways to create content that is actually valuable, whether it's speaking to customers, getting that kind of point of view of people using the tool, or it's speaking to partners and creating content with them. So it's building credibility in creative ways, knowing that it can't innate, like innately come just from me. But it's, I mean, it is, it is, it is still marketing, right? It's just, you have mm-hmm. to do it in a different way. Um, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But the basic principles are still the same, right? I, um, I did a starter and business course 20 years ago, and it, it was so there's the, it was three P's at the time, right? I don't know, price, place, and position or something like that. I think there's a few more, there's a few more P's now that people have to use. Do you still use those basic principles that that you know, sort of the the, the basic bedrock of marketing? Do they still apply? I, yes, I think they do. And yeah, just like every industry, marketing is filled with acronyms. So there are so many that we can pick and choose at any given moment. Um I think that the basic principles of marketing will always apply. But I think that what runs a little bit deeper than that is remembering that at the end of the day, marketing is speaking to another human as a human. Um, It's about relationships and it's about thinking about what people really need. It's about thinking about what is the thing that triggers someone to buy. It's not just coming on someone's website. What are the things that really make someone tick? And what are the things that will really make someone's work day better? So I think basic principles will always apply and so will basic kind of human psychology. And if you can keep those things in mind, I think that's always going to be a good thing. Yeah, and I, I mean, it, it, it does, it comes out very clearly from your pricing page, right? Which is from the perspective of the of the, of the the customer, not not your perspective, which I think is right. a, a big takeaway that I, that I would take, I would take from, from, from your site. Um, yeah. What what I also find interesting is your personal journey into this role where you are uh, doing marketing for a developer first company, and there's more and more of those now, right? But uh, how on earth did you end up in this particular line of marketing? Yeah, um, like a lot of people, my journey has not been linear. Um, it's come from me keeping kind of two things at the core of my journey and that's been staying in a role that's to do with content and writing and following people that I love working with and I started in nonprofit marketing I loved that I worked in an agency to kind of wear as many hats as I could and do all things all at once and gain a lot of experience very fast I then jumped into an AI startup with someone who I had worked at that agency with, who I, to this day, consider one of my strongest working mentors. And again, stayed in content, 
learned a lot, learned a lot about working in a technical space and then realized that that was my sweet spot was working in-house with technical content and finding creative ways to make that actually resonate with people using the tool. Um, and then from there I got into Flagsmith and again, it came down to me knowing that that was something that I love. I love writing. I love taking technical concepts and making them relevant and honestly following two great people that I loved working with who said, Hey, we're working in this startup and it's really exciting. They're doing a lot of cool things. We're working with great people. The customers are awesome. This could be a really interesting thing. And it's been a great move. I love it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, uh, in terms of, in terms of the basic business model, yeah. I mean, the feature flags thing is, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, one of those things that you definitely need, especially at scale. But I, I guess your your core skill was as a writer. I mean, the, the bringing the ability to write in different registers. Would you say that's that's one of the most important enabling skills that you've had for this? I think so. Yeah, and I think one of the things that has really worked for Flagsmith and continues to work is content. Um, so being able to take content that's already working and scale it and create kind of repeatable processes around it was really one of the main things I was taken on to do. Um, so yeah, all of that comes down to writing and being able to take the technical concepts and apply them. And I think that's, that's the thing that I've kind of brought to the table here. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get on to uh, content strategy, but just before we do, um, just going back to the basics of marketing. Uh, mm -hmm. And you said there's loads of acronyms that, of course, marketing has its its, its own world, but it has a whole bunch of different models or anything like that. Um, so for anybody who's listening, who's coming into this from the marketing world, uh, is there any specific types of things that you're using, I suppose, classical marketing strategies or, or models or any of that sort of stuff? Or have you had to adapt and invent your, your own kind of approach? Um, I think that we, I came into this role knowing a few things that were working really well. Um, one of those things was content. And it's been a lot of knowing that I'm jumping into a startup and that we're going to be trying different things. And our goal is to fail quickly if we're going to fail. So it's doing the things that are working. We know that content is working really well. We know that partnering with companies and creating content together works really well. We know that publishing content with third parties works really well. And it's taking that kind of bedrock and then thinking, okay, what else could we do and how can we see whether those things are working? Whether it's events, whether it's speaking to influencers, whether it's newsletters, whatever it might be. So it's kind of having that foundation of kind of basic good content and marketing and then experimenting around it okay and i'm just, i'm still going to slide on you a little bit because the other the other uh thing that comes to my mind is uh there's this kind of trope of there being three pillars of developer relations right code mm -hmm. content and community um mm -hmm. i think flagsmith is uh, i mean you're you're open you're open source or considerably open source. So that kind of covers the code end of things and the content stuff. Uh, I mean, that that's, that's clearly a core strength. Do you do much community stuff, uh, you know, running meetups, that type of thing? Yes. And I think that that's the great thing about open source. I think that, and I would say as well, credit to our founder, Ben, he, 
I would say, is a big part of the open source community and make sure that that community element and the kind of honesty of open source kind of runs through the whole company. And that plays out for us in a bunch of different ways. Like we have a podcast where we'll speak to other people that are in the open source space and it's just very honest conversations about how are you building? What are the problems that you've come across? And it's going to meetups. It's going to the open source events and speaking about things like the mistakes that we've made along the way. And I would say that we try to be a big part of the open source community and to be really fostering that community. And a lot of that for us is through being really honest. Like I truly respect the way that Ben's ethos is that if someone makes a mistake in the open source community, it only has to happen once because we can all learn together. So he's really honest about, let's talk about the things that haven't gone well. Let's talk about the things that are sticky and let's share with the open source community and build together. So I'd say there's a huge kind of community element and a huge open source element to really everything that we do at Flagsmith. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a core value of the company mm-hmm. by the sounds of it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Enough sidelines. Let's talk about content strategy because that is uh, it is something that people struggle with because what you know what 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 do you do? How do you how do you decide on a strategy that that is actually working? Um, and how do you measure it and all that sort of stuff? Uh, maybe maybe I, I'll start with uh, another tricky question, which is what what didn't work? What experiments failed? At Flagsmith. Yeah. Or can you say? Yeah, no, I mean, I can't. I think that's, I think it's important to talk about the things that have failed. Um, I'm still decently early to the role and the company here. So we haven't had really many colossal fails yet, but I'm sure that they'll come. I think that the biggest thing that I've grappled with in coming here is measuring it, right? And I think that that's one of the biggest things that runs across developer relations, marketing, whatever it might be, is that you need to figure out what's working and what's not. And that comes down to having good data. It comes down to having good strategy. It comes down to knowing what to measure and being okay with the fact that you can't measure everything. And I think one of the most difficult things for me was coming in and thinking, I want to measure everything. I want to know exactly what's working and what's not. And how do I measure that? What do I report on? And having some very great conversations with people I really respect in the space that were saying, you need to have some conviction that not everything is going to be measurable. And you need to look at things like multi-touch and the journey and the like less tangible things as well as having just solid outputs because there's so much to this role. And if you try to measure everything as a developer advocate or as a marketer, you're going to have no time left in your day. Yeah. And it, uh, and it's it's interesting to juxtapose that with, I suppose, you know, consumer businesses, because in that mm-hmm. case, you've got you've got much, much more clearly defined funnel, and you can say, you know, is our top of funnel big enough, whatever. Um, but with developer marketing, if you just try to make the, the top of funnel really big um you end up creating negative vibes and it doesn't things don't really work out for you mm-hmm. the uh the frustration on the measurement stuff is shared by the whole community um do you think we'll ever figure it out 
I think that we can get close enough. And I think that there are some people in the marketing space that I really look up to that have found that happy balance between knowing what to measure to be able to kind of create your case with conviction and to be able to know what's working and also knowing what to let go. And again, having that confidence to know that it's okay that you don't have to measure everything, but these things we do know are working and we have the metrics behind it. People like Jess Cook have such a great ethos on that and explain it so much more eloquently. Um, I think that we can get close enough. And I think for anyone in this role, one of the most important things is being able to figure out how much you need to measure and how much time to sink in it because it can be a bottomless pit. And I think that is something we need to be honest with ourselves about. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Okay. Well, let's talk about actual different types of content. So you guys have... You have a podcast. I, I guess you do a technical blog. Do you have sample apps? You have a- API documentation. I mean, just just take us through the different types of content and the trade offs around effort and results. Yeah, I know that's a big question, but it's a big, <laughs> it's a big question, but it's an important <laughs> question. Um, and to be fully candid, I'm coming at this we're a startup we're small we're bootstrapped so all of our decisions behind content come down to knowing that we're we're a small team and we're doing it we're doing it our way um but we do we lean in hard on technical content and that might be on our blog it might be in like on other developer sites it might be with partners we do a lot of partner content and that's something that I really love doing for the relationships and it's something that has been really successful as well. Um, we have a well, newsletter. Ta- yeah. yeah. Take me through, take me through the partner content thing. Cause that's what, so what is that? Is that sponsoring people to build stuff using your system or just take us into the details? Then. Yeah. So what's interesting about Flagsmith is that it's a specialty tool. We focus on feature flags and that's our bread and butter We haven't decided to build out a big all-in-one platform that also has deep experimentation tools or things like that. So we do feature flagging and we work really well in the developer stack when people are using us with tools like analytics tools, observability tools, CICD. So lots of our strategy has been choosing not to build those things out in our own system but to partner with the tools that people already use that do those things well. So if someone's using Amplitude or Dynatrace, they can integrate with us and they know that they already have that decision point. They have been measuring their analytics in Amplitude. They can keep measuring them there and then back that up with flag data from Flagsmith rather than having two different decision points. So inherently that means that to do my job well, I build strong relationships with those partners and help educate people on how they can use those tools together in their stack and make their life simple, right? So how how open are those partners to working with Flagsmith or working with, I guess, other partners in general? Do you find that there's a lot of acceptance that it's also part of their marketing strategy or do you have to sell it? I think it's a bit of both. And I think... I think it comes down to, I mean, knowing that we're a small fish compared to some of the other people in the developer tool pond. Um, So there will be an element of selling. Um, But again, it comes down to 
if there are customers that are using the tools together, we want to find the right ways for those people to be able to know how to get the most out of them and to really use those complementary tools together in their stack. So it's it can be a bit of a pitch sometimes, but mm. I will say too, there is been a lot of openness at least to build integrations and documentation together and the more that customers start to use those tools together the more you can get some momentum on content too because you want you want to keep that momentum going because you see that people are using the tools and when you when you work with a partner a partner like that are you working with the developer relations teams in those partners or are you working with just arbitrary engineers that were assigned to you or the marketing departments, or is it all yeah, different? Yeah, interesting question, because it, it can really vary. It depends on the partnership, and it depends on really what we're doing with it. So I've worked a little bit with some people that are building out the integration. I've worked with like DevRel people, and I've worked with marketers. It tends to come down to marketers and developer relations people, and then the engineers on our side and on their side will work together on building out the technical side of the integration that that I can't speak to as much. Yeah, yeah. I, I find this really, uh, really fascinating. I, I think this is a really strong strategy. And it's not one. This is why we, we, we're <laughs> trying to talk to a much wider range of people rather than just us techies, you know. Uh, I, I find this a really interesting strategy uh, that creates a Really, really great foundation of uh, credibility for the tool. Um, when you're a developer advocate, you're very focused on this is our tool and this is what it does and here's how the API works. Um, but what you've done from a marketing perspective is positioned it in a broader ecosystem, which is a really strong idea. Um, yeah, I think that we very consciously... And again, respect to the engineers building the tool and and to Ben, the founder, we've made a very conscious decision to not build certain things yeah. and to say no to building out the tool to have big observability features and things. And, and I think that that can be a way to position. And I think it's something that people don't talk about too much because like you said, you're so busy kind of selling your own tool and marketing your own tool, but to be really useful to do to a developer, you have to be able to work with the other tools in their stack and and make life simpler. You don't want to be adding decision points. You don't want to be conflicting with data that they're getting in other tools. So positioning yourself as, hey, we do feature flagging and we partner with the other tools that you already use or that your product team use or that your business people use. I think that that has been a really interesting way to approach it. Yeah, and, and again, speaking as a developer, for me, it's it's one of those little tells that I look for. You know, do these people play nice? Yeah, right. Are they gonna Are they gonna be difficult <laughs> in various ways yeah. with, with other parts of other things that I have to do? Uh, so we've had, I mean, we've had guests from GitHub and Intercom and all sorts of bigger companies, people in developer advocate roles or, or leadership roles around developer relations. And of course, they effectively have infinite resources when it comes to creating content. Uh, you're a startup. You don't have infinite resources. Um, and I, this is something I've struggled with in, in, in various startups and even in a consulting company is getting enough technical content generated. So how do you solve that problem? Do you go outside? What, how, do you, how do you get yes. enough content? 
Yes. Um, interesting problem. I think one that we don't talk about enough as marketers. I think that it's very easy to come into the role and want to do everything and want to do it yourself and to see it as a weakness if you can't create all of the content in-house as the, the team that you have. Um, but again, I've been forced to be creative just through the nature of being a bootstrap team. Um, and I think a lot of that for me has come down to making choices to develop some content myself, but also to know that I don't have the technical background to to put out all of the content. So a lot of the content I will come, I will create comes from working with other people, whether that's interviewing the team internally and getting their views on things that are going on, things that we're creating and why, or whether it's working with partners and saying, should we create some content together? We're noticing that customers are asking X, Y, and Z questions. Or if it's working with a freelancer because they have the experience with a language or a tool and they can speak to that technical content. Um, or honestly, if it's coming down to looking at the content we have that's working really well and repurposing that and saying, this is right. a blog that's really yeah. resonated. What are the follow-up questions that people tend to have around it? Or what are the topics that branch off? Or can we do a podcast and get someone on to talk about this topic and it's thinking creatively, knowing that I can't do it all myself because there just aren't enough hours in the day. No, unfortunately not. Not, not when it comes yeah. to startups. I think the repurposing yeah. thing is an opportunity that a lot of people are missing. Is yes. you know, I, I go to um, I look at a lot of technical content that people are producing, and um, you know, you're thinking, uh, you know, you should really do a retrospective blog post where you, you kind of tie together all of these as a series. Um, yeah. there's one, there's one company that I really like, uh, moderntreasury.com. They have a mm. fantastic blog. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, where they think they do things like they explain accounting to developers. Um, mm. but it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit fragmented. Um, I was just looking at it this morning for projects, which slides in my head. And I was thinking, yeah. you know, they should really have a, a, a sort of a, a blog entry where, which is just a sort of guide to all of the previous ones on this topic, which would be so useful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the thing too. I think if you're a marketer coming into one of these companies, you often come in and think, okay, I've got to create all of this content. How am I going to do it? But if you can slow down and look at what you already have and think, well, how can I connect the dots with what I already have or expand on it? There's probably an absolute gold mine sitting right under your nose. Absolutely. It is. Absolutely. Yeah, there's so much uh, you can do with it. Yeah. One, you you had a recent uh, LinkedIn post where you identified a challenge uh, around externals, which is that uh, they may not, you know, although they can generate some good technical content, there's a challenge around them understanding the positioning of the company and the, mm -hmm. I guess, the, the cultural vibe that you want to have running through the content. And that it's not a case of, you know, throw it out, throw it out the door and it comes back and it's done and you plonk it up on the website as well as paying for it there's additional cost i think internally to orient it correctly yes i think so and i think it can be very easy to look at this and say i don't have the technical knowledge therefore i must outsource but i think that the expense there is more than just the cost of hiring someone from upwork or however you might source your freelancer it's also realizing that because you don't have that technical knowledge, 
when that content comes back to you, it doesn't just land on your plate. You're going to need to QC it for things like branding, voice, position. And then you're also probably going to need to lean on your technical team to QC it to make sure that it that if they're doing it, if they've created code and there are snippets or screenshots on there, do they actually work? Does it work the way that our tool works? And that kind of debt that you can create with it can be, it can rack up pretty quickly and it can be easy to get into the kind of back and forth of jumping between your technical team and a freelancer. Um, so it's looking at the right ways to get the technical content. And sometimes that might be a freelancer but finding someone who is a specialty person for that tool, that language or whatever, or it might be as simple as looking to your internal team and saying, can I interview you for 30 minutes on X topic and kind of get that framework going internally and then move from there. Like there are different ways to get that content that aren't creating a blog title and going on to Upwork, for example. Yeah. And there's quite a lot of variance, isn't there? In, in the cost of, <laughs> Of, of those sort of commissioned blog posts. Um, I mean, sort of <laughs> like the good people are sort of 10, 10 times the cost of, I suppose, just standard, just standard content. Um, yeah. Yeah. And especially in the technical world, like you actually, it's, it's easy to underestimate how much you might be asking of one freelancer. If you're asking them to create a blog post on X tool, you might be asking them to create a blog post on X tool whilst also understanding how your tool works with it, and then however many programming languages around it, plus your positioning, plus other things. Like There are so many things to think through when you're assigning these pieces, and the cost can rack up pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, that, that means, I don't know, it sounds like if you get a, if you get a freelancer who understands your company, um, you probably want to ask them to do a series of blog posts because you're 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 reducing the unit cost per post right because you're you don't have to deal with as much of that each time uh, and you're also then building that relationship with them and that yeah. trust with them and if you find a freelancer who can create great content and we have some who are, have created great content for us this it's like finding a, a diamond in the dust like you want to kind of hone that relationship with them as well yeah yeah a lot of moving parts a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of moving parts. It's very different from just looking at your Google Analytics and going, right, more Google ads. Yes, yes. Or just saying, here are five keywords that we want to rank for. Let's yeah, outsource them all yeah. as articles. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Um, Anna, thank you so much. This has been really, really interesting. Um, and certainly, I, I, I hope we're going to speak to a couple more people operating at this level, doing this sort of thing, because it is an integral part of developer relations and part of, I guess, fully professionalizing the activity, um, moving it beyond just uh, go to a conference talk into a systematic, consistent approach that, yeah. that uh, can actually deliver, even if you don't measure everything. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it seems to be kind of a growing space to you. Like I see more and more people that are marketing in the developer space and yeah, there are some truly great people coming into it, wanting to wanting to do great things and wanting to build like great relationships in it, and it'll be interesting to see how that how that evolves. Cool. Okay. Well, I, I'm I'm going to process this a little bit. Lots of lots of really good insights. In any case, just from this talk, uh, Anna, thank you so much. This has been really really great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been it's been wonderful to be here. It's been great to talk.
Wonderful. Take care. Thanks. You can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on our podcast page at voxgate.com slash podcast. Subscribe for weekly editions where we talk to the people who make the developer community work. For even more, read our newsletter. You can subscribe at voxgate.com slash newsletter or follow our Twitter at Voxgate. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.